Amen. So uh, I would like to say thank you to uh, you guys for the feedback you've been giving concerning uh, this series that I've been teaching uh, on the character of God, the character of God. We've had amazing teachings. We looked at the life of um, our brother Job last week, which was exciting, right? I was, you know, after teaching last week Sunday, I'm watching the message. Even before I watched the message, I kept repeating some statement that I made. I said, it doesn't make any sense for someone to, for someone to think that Satan gave God instruction or Satan got God or incited God to afflict Job. It just doesn't make any sense. And this is part of our journey of training and raising you guys, right, to be intelligent Christians. Amen. So one of the requests that came in, like the request of Job came in, one of the requests that came in is about a thorn in the flesh. Oh, thorn in the flesh. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 to 7. We'll start from verse 1 and read all the way down. Because uh, a few things I might, I might want to pick up from verse 8 and 9. Please, I want you to read this very carefully. I was speaking to someone yesterday and I had to challenge them. They are much older than me. They are older than my mom. But at some point I had to wear my pastor's heart. And I spoke and I used strong words to address them. And one of the things I said to them is this. I said, mommy, if you are not careful, if you keep trying to read the Bible, with the knowledge of what you have learned for years, I said you will never grow. <laughs> that came to me like a shock. And it's true. If every time you come to the Bible and you want to read, you don't open with a open heart to learn, to hear what God is saying to you, but coming, but coming to justify some of the garbage of or the old manner, when I say manner, old food, old revelations, insight, while you were still maturing, if you come to the to read your Bible, to read it with that lens, you will never grow. We don't know everything. You know, when I last night as I was, as I was meditating before I went to bed, I was reading my Bible. You know, there's a word from the, the parable of the sower that stood out to me when the Bible says that persecution and problems come for the sake of the word. I've preached this several times, but there's a way it stood out to me last night that like I've it's, it felt like I've never seen it that way before. And that was my meditation into my sleep and my meditation when I woke up this morning. My eyes was open to see that all the strife, the hunger, and all kind of stuff, even the ones I've been going through, you know, recently came for the sake of the word, to choke the word of God in my heart. And I asked the question, I said, how powerful is the word of God that the enemy is always aiming at the word of God to get it out of your heart with persecutions and problems? Friends, trust me, I have some customers. I have some clients. Would, would daily and regularly supply me with offense and strife. Friends, in-laws, right? Some in-laws I've had to deal with. You know, my, my guard is up because you can't keep allowing people who create strife and offense into your space. They will distract you. Don't forget the attack, the aim of the enemy is to get the word of God out of your heart. I think that's the book of Mark chapter 4. Praise God. You can read from verse 16 to 17. And on the off flip side, there are friends, relationships in your life, right? If you have not, if you can go on my social media profile, you'll see uh, my latest post. Like, don't never underestimate the power of association, the power of the influence of the people in your life. There are relatives I will not allow in my household. If they come to the UK, I'm going to lodge them in an hotel. Friends, this is a life and death matter. 
There's some people I have half an hour conversation with and it feels like, and I feel so drained afterward. It feels like I've been talking to them for five hours. And there's some people I have two hour conversations with and when I'm coming out of it, I'm like, wow, time has, just, time has gone by. People are spirit. And what people carry on their mind will affect you. Amen. I think that's a bonus for people. So the enemy comes after the word of God in one's heart. But where did I start from on this journey? I'm trying to prepare your heart, help you to look at what we want to look at this morning with an, with an open heart. What is the word of God saying to you? What does the word of God say compared to what you think the Bible says? What you believe most in your life today about God, about the word of God, is that something you read in the Bible yourself? You receive insight and revelation or what your prophet, your pastor, your archbishop taught you? Do you know why a lot of Christians are not effective in our, work today, in our Christian work today? It's because we are running on the insight and revelation of many men and women of God. With all, with whom, with all due respect, themselves do not know what the Bible properly. And we're gonna, you will see practical example this morning. Amen. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. We're starting with verse 1. And I would like us to read it from the, from the King James Version. Okay, let's start from New King James. I may have to switch to King James later on. Now, why did I specify the version? Now, the closest version of the Bible, translation of the Bible, to the Greek and the Hebrew is the King James. The likes of NIV, New International Version, they call it right? You know, they tend to English, English, this is my grammar, English shy, English, English size the Bible, make it more, you know, more read, I mean, easy to read and understand. But with all the respect, many other translations of the Bible, in their attempt to make the Bible more easier to read, have diluted and taken things out of the Bible. If you really want to grow in your Christian life, to really understand the Word of God, the Bible, you need to, start, you need to get yourself familiar with the King James Bible. To make it more Englishy, right? New King James. NIV and other applications we amplify, they'll try to explain, but they take some things out of context. Amen? Hence, we have some confusion in the Bible. And hence, God has called someone like me and some other guys to teach you, to help you reconcile, and to, I mean, to, to, to connect the dot, that's a better word, to connect the dots in the Bible so that you can, you can have sound understanding of the Bible, what the Bible is saying. And you can understand the message, not the text. Majority of Christians today, many, and that is many out of the few who read the Bible, go by the text, but they don't understand the message. So today we're going to be looking at the message. You know, a message can come to you, but there might be um, noises in between, you know, like some flush may, may, may filter through. That's off. That is that is that is it for most communications, human communications. Fluff will come in, noise will come in, some additions will come in based on how the, the how how the communicator can best communicate the message, including myself. Right. So some fluff will come in along the line, but what you need to learn to hear is the message. I've had preachers who did not clearly articulate the message, but understand what they are talking about. So I listen for the message rather than just the text. But today I'm gonna to be I'm gonna try as much as possible to take us through the text and that you understand the message. 
So what we're trying to do today is to def uh, define, to understand what a thorn in the flesh is. What a thorn in the flesh is. Now, why are we studying this? Now, conventionally, right, many Christians believe that a thorn is a sickness, is a problem, is a disease that God brings into the life of a person to keep them humble, a debilitating, uh, hindering, limiting circumstance or situation in their life to, to keep them humble. What a way for what a way that what a way for God to try to humble his people. And where they take that insight from is in the from the book of St. Corinthians, chapter 12. Paul's thorn in the flesh. And as we go through this, you understand the reason why I, I said I, I took my time to lay that foundation. Amen. So let's start from verse 1. Nick in James, St. Corinthians chapter 12. It's doubtless, it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Something, I'll take it again. Something was not connected properly in my mind there. It is, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. Excuse me. I will come to the visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. This is where the journey starts. I will take verse 5 again. Of such a one I will, I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. So write down that infirmities. For though I, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be, or hears from me. Verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to befed me lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it may depart from me. And it said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Take it again. Infirmities. In reproaches, in needs, in the persecutions, in the stresses. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Guys, honestly, I wish this was an interactive Bible study session. Because this is... Because it is in those kind of platforms I think I could do justice to this because I want some feedback from you guys. But I'm going to go by 
I mean, the general concept of what I've had so far about this throne of the flesh and the nuances of people's insight and the deep revelations about the throne of flesh. Because of our time today, I may have to read from my notes. I'm supposed to try to flesh this out. But if, I, if I'm able to read a few things out of my notes very quickly, I will, then I can do some fleshing out uh, from, from the Bible. So one of the reasons why we want to talk about this this morning is because if people, if people do not really understand what a thorn in the flesh actually is, and they think it is God bringing problems upon people, diseases and sicknesses to humble them, it will hinder your faith in God. It will hinder your relationship with God. It will open you up to demonic attacks. It will give the devil opportunities to afflict and torment your life. It will give the devil opportunity to hinder your life. You know why? I will ask you this question again. If you have a demonic attack or an evil thing happens to you, how would you differentiate? If you believe this kind of nonsense, right? How would you differentiate between the evil that came from the devil and the one that comes from God? Are you, can you connect what I mean, what I was saying under the question? So I said, if you don't understand this, it's going to open you up to the devil and give the devil opportunity and chance to fester and to grow and to destroy things in your life. Because you will not be able to answer the question I just asked. Because when a problem, a disease or something happens in your life, you might need to spend about three to seven days fasting and praying to differentiate, to, to ask God to find out who is the source of that problem. So when you then receive or hear from the Lord, as some people may think, that it is God bringing that problem into your life, then you have no right to pray against it. Then people go into the version, into this realm of praying for, uh, praying for mercy. Do you know what mercy means? Mercy means not to receive the punishment that is due to you. So you hear things like mercy, mercy throne, mercy this, mercy that. And I don't want to call it some specific title so it, so that it doesn't sound like I'm attacking some ministries. I get it because some people have a dedication to pray for mercy and things like that. Mercy means that, Lord, don't, don't punish me for what I deserve, the punishment I deserve. You don't deserve any punishment for anything because Jesus took your punishment on the cross. There's no need for any believer to pray for mercy because Jesus took their punishment. You are now in the dispensation of grace. You are supposed to enjoy your fellowship and your work with the Father. Amen. So, but if you know how, if you know and you accept it as a fact that God is not out there to bring problem into your life, that the enemy is the author of every form of problem, disease, sickness, and all manner of evil things. Then when a sickness or a problem approaches you, you speak against it. Now, this morning I knelt on the floor while I was trying to fix some technical issue here. And all of a sudden there was a sharp pain on my left leg. I've never had this before. And it was trying to tighten my leg such that I would not be able to walk. I, I, I got no time for this. I spoke to it. Then my mind was like, are you sure it's going to go? It ain't your business. I spoke to that nonsense and I came to teach this morning. Not up to one, one hour ago. I did not know where the pain came from. Very sharp and strong one in my left leg. So if I were like many people, they would think, oh, maybe God wants to use this to test me. Maybe God wants you to use this to humble me. I don't believe those crap. 
Because I've thought over the past few weeks that Jesus is the exact representation of God. And Jesus said in the book of John chapter 5, from verse 16, that the miracles he did are the things he says his father do. See, as his father raises the dead, heals the sick, he does likewise. Acts 10, 38 tells us that our God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with the power. We went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So God is one in the business of doing good, helping people, healing the sick, raising the dead. Praise the Lord. So I've done some work there with you guys last week to explain that for you. To you. So in the, in, the, in the light of the things we have been looking at in the past few weeks, we want to look at this same topic. What is a thorn in the flesh? So it is important that you understand what a thorn is, right? So that your relationship with God will not be hindered. So that the devil will not have opportunity or a platform to bring problems into your life and, and lie to you that God, God is trying to use it to humble you. So a few things that I want us on to call out here. How many of you guys believe that, um, or agree with me, that Paul was one of the, of the greatest apostles in the Bible? Paul was not one of the followers of Jesus while he was on earth. But Paul received his revelation of the gospel of grace from Jesus directly after Jesus has moved on into heaven. And even Peter, one of the guys who followed Jesus while he was on earth, during his earthly ministry, like we say, even if Peter said the things that Apostle Paul teaches, he said they are hard to understand, difficult to understand, because his religious mind cannot really understand or grasp the unconditional love and the grace of God. So Paul, whom God used to teach us the gospel and has helped millions and millions of people in the world. So you think God will bring sickness into his life to humble him or bring problems into his life to humble him. I've forgotten that Paul even was saying in the book of Philippians that, you know what, many things that he could have boasted of, he counted them dung for the knowledge that he has in Christ Jesus. Paul esteemed the knowledge of Christ above everything else. So what is it there that God wants to humble him about? Paul was one who was teaching us that we do not, we do not estimate human beings by human accomplishment. We don't estimate people. We don't esteem people by human accomplishment. Paul was a person who, who, who glorified Christ above everything else that he has, has ever accomplished. So, the most humble, in my own opinion, the most humble man in the Bible, in the, in, with respect to the fact that what God says, what God wants to do was what he gave himself to. So what is there again for God to humble him? Like, are, you, are you beginning to see what I'm talking about that we need to think? If you want to be a sound Christian, you must, be, you must be willing to sit down and think and ask questions. That's why many sometimes churches where you go and just shout and pray and, and, and shout and play and smoke screen are not the best for you. Because they're not helping you. I'm not saying we should not have fun when we come to church, but we must come to church to receive the word of God. Now watch this. Now, now one, of the, one of the things we're doing just to build communities. But if you have a great community of association and a church that the word of God, which changes life, is not being taught, you are wasting your time. I've seen people leave a church because there are no businessmen in that church. I've seen people leave a church because there are no singles in that church. And all manner of reasons why people, people, people leave a church. But why was, what's the foundation of a church? Christ Jesus. 
1 Timothy chapter 2, that all men may be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The church is not the place for you to come and find a husband. No, that's not what the church is set up for. The church was set up to help you, to equip you to do what God has called you to do, to discover who God said you are. So if a church does not have all of the bells and whistles, but has the word of God, teach it to you, show you love, care about you, that is the place you should be, no matter what seems to be shining elsewhere. Friends, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus died for what we're talking about. People died to have the Bible in our hands. People die to have the word of God accessible to us. Then we go to church for nonsense. Are we thinking? We don't do that in this church. is a word for somebody who probably will come across this message on, on media or something. I'm not criticizing anyone, pointing fingers. What is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the word of God? The poor run a church that had small screens, has all manner of things that we bring into church today. And I'm not criticizing those things. The word of God is what has the power to transform your life. That has the power to deliver you from the power of darkness. That has the power to help you to live a, a, a solid Christian life. That will help you to live a, a sound Christian life when you are out of the church building. See, the, the impact of your Christian life or, your, of, or of your life is in what you do Monday to Sunday. Before you come to church. Sunday before you come to church. And Sunday, no, Sunday to Sunday. Sunday after you leave church to Sunday when you come to church in the morning. And even how you conduct yourself in the church. So the time of service, one and a half hours, it's not all about it. So you may come to church for one and a half hours, have fun, have a community, and have fun, you know, you know, sympathize, empathize with yourself, your community, your group, singles group, or, um, married women, single women, uh, divorced women, all, all those kind of groups. And sympathize and encourage yourself and empathize. And after, when you live there, so what happens to you? God wants you to be joyful, excited, charged 24-7. A carrier of life that goes into the world and give people life. Well, you come to church to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Praise God. So, Paul would taught us the gospel. Romans 1.16 Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. It's a, it's a channel through which God releases his power to change life, to transform life. Many people are in communities and groups in church and they are so lonely and dying in their personal life. God wants you to have victory and to be strong and solid in your personal life. Why do I think I cherish the word of God and all kind of stuff that above all of the bells and whistles, the worship thing? <laughs> Hallelujah. Because I know what was. I know what Jesus asked us to do, asked us to focus on. Why do you think people are committing suicide? Why do you think many Christians are perishing today? Check them properly. The word of God is not in their heart. I know of a man, myself and Jolami, we were talking about it yesterday. You know, they can preach the Bible. They can pray for many hours. And then there were a lot of character issues that we found out. And I was thinking about this after we came back from grocery shopping yesterday. And the Lord said to me, the word is not in the heart of those men. It's in their head. He said, when you engage with the word of God in your heart, with your heart, he said, it transforms you. There are some things you say that you know, you know as, a, as, a, as a child of God whose head is correct, you should not dabble with those things. 
But you can you can read the Bible, not the Bible, get excited about it. But if you don't engage with your heart and ask yourself, how am I being transformed by the word of God? What's my character like? If you don't have those self-evaluation moments whereby you check yourself with the word of God, the word of God will be in your head and your life will be, will be miserable or you will be a pain to your family, to your spouse and everybody. Now look at my wife, you asked yesterday, she was so, so excited. Even though somebody insulted me, kind of, I'm, I'm trying to get out of my head. She was just so excited. And I was so happy my wife is excited. You know, each time she, come, she comes back from work and she's smiling, that's my joy. No matter how horrible or challenging my day has been at work. That's my joy. My, my wife must always be looking forward to come home. And trust me, I'm always looking forward to come home too. And as, as, as I land, ah, the story of everything that happened today, I'm dropping it. Amen. That is the impact of the word of God in my heart, in my life. So the word of God in your heart, in your life, in your heart, your heart, is what will change your life. Look at the things I've said that the gospel has done. Do you, you guys know the testimonies we have? And I mean, some of you guys may not know. So the man that taught us all of that, so God with them both sickness and disease in his life to, to make him humble, to limit him. And prevent him from doing more. So that you and I will not get life and health. Point two. If Paul was of the opinion that God has sent the thorn to teach him humility, then he had no right to ask God to remove it. We're going to get into it. Now, let's go back into that Bible uh, verse. So, verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, if the thorn in the flesh was from the Lord, then Paul should not request that God should take it from him. So, I think at this point, I want to quickly run through those those verses, one after the other, and build a few things in just to jump ahead of myself. I want also want also want to look at what is a thorn. All right, so let's go back to, let's start from verse 7. Watch this. It says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan. A messenger of, of Satan. What is a thorn? Is a thorn a sickness or a disease? Now, when you find words like this in the Bible, don't look too far to find the meaning. In that same chapter and context, you will find the meaning there. Worst case scenario, though, that same word will have been used somewhere else in the Bible. Now, let's go into the Old Testament so that we know that Paul did not um, invent this word. Let's go into the Old Testament and see where what thorns are. Three, verse, three uh, uh, places. Numbers 33, 55. Quick one. Numbers 33, 55. Pastor Ebukwa, I'm sure that we are doing good, sir. God bless you, sir. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes 
and thorns in your sight. Who are the thorns? The inhabitant. People! Thorns are people. Unsafe people. People used by Satan to, to disturb us. To hinder our work. People who are persecuting us, who do not want our ministry to prosper, these are the people who are called thorns. Simple. Let's look for another one. Joshua 23. Joshua 23:13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no, long, will no longer drive out these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sight and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Have you noticed that thorns are usually working against the will of God in your life? What God has given you, the land God has given to the people, the gospel of peace, the gospel of righteousness. Thorns try to steal it from you, make life be unbearable and miserable for you. And what is the thorn? People. People. How does thorn make you uncomfortable? Persecution. They want to assassinate your character, spread bad news about you, steer people up against you. Thorn is people. Another point, another, another reference. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Verse 1 to 3. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I laid you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be snared to you. Thorns again. What? People! People who come to assassinate your character, try to mess up your reputation, lie about your church, write all manner of blogs about you. I've come across some of them on, on Instagram, though. I just blocked them when I see them. I get it. Who sent, who sent such people? Paul said, told us, a messenger of Satan. Do you think God will send people to you to hinder his own work to help other people. How is that sensible? How is that sensible? Let's carry on. I'll, I'll I think I want to stay in the, in that verse because I can I can do I can do much more from there. Saint Corinthians. Let's go to back, back to Saint Corinthians chapter twelve. So verse seven, right? So let's go. Let me, let, I'm just going to read through. Pam, I'm just going to leave this. Let's let's go through the Bible line by line, and then uh, we shut down here. <clears throat> a messenger of Satan to befriend me, lest I be exalted above measure. Do you know that even exalt there, what in Greek, what they exalt mean, and in context, is that people, less people exalt the ministry of Paul, less people accept the ministry of Paul. So those thorns in the flesh come to, to cause confusion, to distract people, to assassinate Paul's character so that his ministry will not be accepted, will not be exalted. 
as the ministry of truth that saves people. So the exhort here, it's not referring to pride. It's referring to acceptance of people of the gospel. If you don't read this properly and in context, starting from 1 Corinthians 11, you won't understand this. Lest I be exalted, lest my ministry be exalted, lest my ministry be accepted. Satan sent people, obviously, when, when demons are operating, right? They walk through people. Paul talking about messenger of Satan is everywhere he goes, there's a demonic force or power that is, that is always inciting people against him. That was a thorn in the flesh. It's people influenced by Satan. Hello? People influenced by Satan to make people reject his ministry. Simple. Let's carry on. Say, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He's praying that God would deal with those demons that incite people against him. Because, guys, it can be tiring, exhausting. Even though the thorns I had in my flesh were not, um, they were not against my ministry, but they were injuring me to do the things God has called me to do. Thorns are people. And I believe the devil used those people properly against me for over 10 years in order to hinder my ministry. I was saying to a friend last week, I said, we, Transformers Church is actually starting this year. I think we're just about to enter. We're we just about to really, really start. Because for the first three years, I had a weight and burdens in my life that God had to help me to shelve off. Else I will not grow. And who and are these burdens and weight? People! Christians! People! Tongue-talking, spirit-filled Christians! People! So, Christians can be in your flesh. Religious people. So, ensure that you are not a thorn to me. You will not even have chance because I'll finish you one Sunday with words and with the truth. By next week, you're gone. Thank you for the anointing of a sharp mouth by the Holy Ghost. Amen. Don't be a thorn to other people. You guys knew the thorn came to our church at some point. I think I've had to. We had, we had one online. We had one come to the church. You know the Holy Ghost. With the truth that I preach. They find their way. Amen. So he pleaded with God to remove the thorn three times because it can be very exhausting, right? And he said to me, My grace, verse now, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, when you have thorns in your life, it can be weakening because you can't fight them, you can't win them. I was joking about the fact that I'm going to send them out of my church. Excuse I get. But when you go out to, so, but let me let me talk about the ones that are in, in areas that you can't control, like on the internet, like on certain platforms. There are things you cannot deal with. But the one in my church, I can deal with. I don't have any now, but as a company, I can deal with them. I can use the system to get them out. God has blessed me with those insights and and it's still developing in that area. Why? Because they will distract other people and they can cause church split. Amen. So that's not a, so naturally we are weak to deal with thorns, with persecution from people when we go to places. And when God said, my grace is sufficient for you, my, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness, many people believe that God left that problem in his life. God did not take that, did not remove that problem because God wants to humble him. It's not true. 
So why did God say my grace is sufficient? Which means you can't deal with this, you can't fight these guys, but you can, do, you can depend on my grace to carry you through. Don't look at yourself, don't trust in yourself. Depend on me to carry you through. Grace, divine enablement to do what God has called you to do. In the ministry, we have to depend on the grace of God, depend on the strength of the Lord, because we cannot run this spiritual journey or spiritual assignment with human strength in the face of all manner of demons and unclean spirits. And said, so my strength is made perfect in weaknesses, in weakness. Now, watch what, what Paul says. He said, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Ha, ha, ha. Infirmities. We went from thorns to infirmities. The philosophers and the theologians connected thorns and infirmities. But we'll see what infirmity is here. Just so, what, what, what we read. I'm sure you are not reading this through the lens of, your, of the religious teachings you've had over the, year, over the years. <clears throat> now, he said, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. When, I mean, from the very beginning. Did he mention sickness or disease? No. In essence, infirmities here, Paul was also still referring to what? Persecution. Inability, sorry, uh, uh, let me rephrase that. It was referring to his inability to handle, to confront, to fight off the persecution that was coming to him. Because infirmity means, in this context, weakness. Inability to fight this off. The good news is this, friends. God will not deliver us from persecution. Persecution comes with the package of being, a, of being a Christian. They persecuted Jesus. They killed him. They persecute Paul. If there is no persecution, then the gospel is not true. Do you know that people don't reject you? People just don't reject you. People reject you for what you stand for. Now, if you go into the midst of wicked people, if you subscribe to their wicked thinking, and practices with them, they will like you. But when you begin to walk in the light and say, I don't want to practice this, they will hate you. So persecution proves the authenticity of the gospel. And when I say persecution, I'm talking about ill treatment because of what you stand for, what you believe. So persecution comes with the package. So God will not God has not delivered us from persecution. It is when the time of Satan in the world is over, when the ease of Adam runs out and Jesus come back to take, you know, ownership of the world, of the earth, that persecution will end. But as long as, as, but as for now, Satan, the God of this world, right, who is, a, who is a prince of the power of the air, the ruler of the prince of the power of the air, he will always send his children, incite his children against us. And that proves and shows that the gospel that we preach is really authentic and indeed has an enemy. And indeed, there's an enemy in the world, an enemy of Christ, the Antichrist, Satan. So Paul was praying that God would take persecution from him. And God was like, no, no, no. We don't take persecution from you. You are in the world. You are in the devil's territory. But you can, you can lean on my grace, on my ability on the inside of you to, to carry through. Amen. Let's carry on. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, infirmities, reproaches, in need, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Where is sickness there? Where is sickness? Where is sickness there? Where? For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm able to fight these things, when I'm, when I'm unable to, to stand against this thing with my human strength, then I'm strong because the strength I use to walk through this is not my own strength, but the strength of the Lord. Simple. Praise the Lord. 
I'll show down there. I've answered the question, what is Paul's turn in the flesh? A messenger of Satan that incites people against him to hinder his ministry so that it will not be accepted. It's not a sickness from the Lord. Praise the Lord. Paul's turn in the flesh is not sickness from the Lord. God is not out there to make people sick. God is not out there to destroy us. God is for you. But persecution, ill treatment from the powers of darkness, from people of darkness, comes with the package. We should not be afraid, but depend on the grace of God to carry through. Let's bow our heads for prayers. Father, we thank you for this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus, for what you have taught us, for what we, for how you open our eyes to see the truth about the gospel. And Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that we'll be able to hold in our heart what a thorn in the flesh is and not give in, not give our ears to the lies and deception of the enemy about us in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for in Jesus' name we have prayed.